Thank you very much. Okay, welcome to the workshop, Discarding Expectations, Living in Reality. My name is Lorraine. I am a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Hi. Help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, and ask it basket questions. A basket, or in this case a little box, uh, with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers, but please speci specify whom your question is for. And the reading uh, from or for today is from page 26, and would someone like to read this? Okay, would you come up, please? Thank you. And you just have to hold this mic or just clip it to you. Good morning. I'm Heidi. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Heidi. Um, okay. Um, we suffer primarily not from our vices or our weaknesses, but from our illusions. We are haunted not by reality, but by those images we have put in place of reality. Daniel J. Vorsten. My life didn't my life didn't match life as it was shown in movies, books, on TV. So I thought something was wrong and I had to fix it. That delusion led me to demoralization and despair. Today, with OA steps of recovery, I know illusions are an escape from reality, and the price I pay for that escape is my illness. Reality is what is. Today, I do not have the illusion that I am the center of the universe, that I should try to make everyone else love me, or that my opinions are facts. My illusions are being replaced with enlightenment, my resentments with serenity, and my anger with love. For today, staying in the real world is far less painful than hiding in food and fat. Thank you. Okay, thank you. And I notice more people are coming in. We do have seats. Yeah, raise your hand if you would, people, that if there's a seat or a few seats next to you, because we do have them. And, and then you'll just have to line up along the wall uh, or sit over on the floor here, wherever. But it looks like we're going to have a full house, which is wonderful. Okay. All right. We're going to continue on. And uh, our first speaker, yes, our first speaker, if you're all welcome, is Sherry from Belmont, who will speak for 25 minutes. Will someone be willing to time? Anyone here, if you have... Oh, fine. Will you just... 25 minutes, and how would you like your time, Sherry? Oh, I guess half time and then five. Where do you put this? Where do you put this? It is. It doesn't uh, make her voice louder. She has to talk loud. Oh. This is just for the recording. This doesn't work? No. Oh, I'm on my own? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I'm starting now. I'm Sherry, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Let me know if you can't hear me. And uh, I started the program 18 and a half years ago, um, December 24th, 1984. I've never left. I have 18 and a half years of back-to-back 
meetings, not abstinence. Um, I've had lots of relapses. Um, my present absence is five years. And I am, um, well, thank you. And, I, and I'm maintaining a 52-pound weight loss. Uh, I started in uh, Long Beach area in Orange County. And I moved up in 91 to uh, Belmont, California. That's up near San Francisco. So I've been working the program there ever since. And I came in, I was 39 years old, and I'm 57 now. So those are the facts. Discarding expectations, living in reality. You know, I made a, a bunch of cards, one for each of my, you know, <laughs> unrealistic expectations. And uh, I just, you know, I, I looked them over and I looked at the title of each one. They kind of read like, you know, the chapters of my life and they're kind of funny. But um, the first one is, this time when I lose the weight, this is all before program, of course, the story of my life, I will never do that to myself again. I will never eat like that again, and I will never gain all that weight back. This time I'm going to lose it, and it will be the last time. Well, <laughs> how many times did I lose the 50 pounds and gain it back, and it was never the last time? From 1963 to 73, I was addicted to diet pills. That was the way I controlled it then. The doctor prescribed speed pills. You know, I took one a day and um, then two a day, and I did that for 10 years. And then when I got off those pills, I, oh God, in the 70s, I, I used my vacations for fat farms. I was a teacher for 33 years, and so I got a couple of vacations a year, and I, I went to the fat farms, and they, they get you started, you know, a fast or a diet, exercise, clean you up go home so you could continue that and it lasted a couple of weeks you know after I got home I did hypnosis and it didn't work for me um, I was in therapy for four and a half years but I I, I didn't you know didn't help my my food issues um, and then of course diets 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 so you know that expectation lasted until my first OA meeting when I realized I never knew that it was a disease and that I was powerless over food and um, so that's when I dropped that expectation but you know maybe now there, there possibly you know I, I won't gain it back and maybe I'll be able to stay the same weight maybe I will never do it to myself again but it's not going to be because of the diet or willpower I mean it's going to be because I'm working this program and my second one was if I work this program hard enough I will be able to eat bread and other white flour stuff. Now this is just for me. This this isn't necessarily for other people. You know, we all have our different um, foods that we can and can't eat. I, you know, I dropped the expectation of ever eating sugar again very early in the program, but I continued to to still eat other things that I really couldn't and and I just would not I just thought it was not normal to go through life and not eat bread you know and and white flour and I mean I used it I I, I just every form of white flour that you can think of without sugar I, I wanted I had I'd overeat I'd been John and I constantly was gaining weight back in the program and then eventually relapsing and um, it, it, I did this till five years ago, and then I, I surrendered to a food plan without white flour. And you know, my whole life changed. It got so much easier. I can't tell you. Um, the struggle stopped, uh, just like with the sugar. I just—it's so much easier not to have any than to do what I was doing. And um, 
you know, I, my, I have a physical addiction to white flower stuff. And um, as soon as I have it, my body craves it. And then the mental obsession starts, and I can't stop. So, you know, but it took 13 and a half years in program to, to do that, to admit it, and to surrender, you know. So it took a long time to get rid of that expectation, but, you know, it, the living in the reality is much easier now without it. You know, and that's just for me. Um, it's the first time that I was able to get to go away. You know, I, I got down there in program, but not to go away. Um, and I couldn't maintain it. So this is the first time in my life I've been the same weight, and I've been maintaining it for four years, and it's been the same weight for four years. I can't believe it. You know, there's the clothes in my closet. Fit. You know, I almost, you know, tried on my clothes before this trip, because that's what I always did before trips. Try on, see what fits, see what you're going to pack. And I still want to do that from habit. And I remember, oh, yeah, it all fits, you know. <laughs> and I, I, I could just pack it, you know, and that's like a miracle for me. I never, ever maintained a goal weight for four years in my entire life. My next one is that I'm in charge and I can um, control things and, and that was, you know, my expectation my whole life. And um, I, I, I had no spirituality and it's very hard to, to deal with reality and accept what is when, you're, when you have no spirituality. And um, I grew up um, Jewish Jewish home. Uh, Jewish customs, Jewish food, uh, no God, really, no, re no real religion either, um, uh, no, no spirituality, and um, so I had to learn all that in program, and I did, I, I came to program more or less an atheist, and um, they told me to act as if, and I really wanted to lose weight, and I wanted to work the program, so I acted as if I as if, as if I believed in God, you know, as if I had a higher power. And I did what a person, you know, who, who believes in God or who has a higher power does. <laughs> and I prayed, and, you know, and I, I, I acted as if I was spiritual, and, you know, as if I believed all that. And eventually I did. I acted myself into being, uh, you know, a somewhat spiritual person who does believe, you know, that there's a, you know, a spirit of the universe, that there's some order that things are meant to be. And I, I, you know, and I believe and I trust and I, I pray all the time now. And, um, you know, and I, and I had to learn that in, in program. And it certainly is a lot easier, you know, to, um, to deal with what is when I have that nice reassuring uh, feeling that there is a higher power. Um, and, and I'm a lot happier now because when I was doing it, you know, controlling, and, and I was always furious because things didn't turn out my way. And, and now, you know, I'm a lot happier because if they don't, I can just tell myself, well, maybe my idea of what was the right way, maybe there's a better way. So, you know, I'm a lot happier. Uh, oh, the next one I love. I would make men who weren't capable of love love me. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people related, huh? Um, my parents were divorced and when I was nine, and then my father more or less, you know, abandoned my sister and me. He was not capable of love. He, he could not love us. And I guess that's what started the whole thing. And um, I, I, I just, you know, spent almost my whole life uh, dating men like that. I, I had a quick one-year marriage when I was 23. It was annulled after a year. And then I was really single, you know, uh, almost it seemed forever. Um, uh, 
you, you know, and all the men that I went out with were like that. They were all unavailable to me. They were all incapable of love. And I was devastated that they couldn't love me. And, uh, you know, who did I pick? Uh, Men not in recovery. They were al these were, these were alcoholics, you know, who drank and drug addicts who used and um, gamblers and uh, married men, and and those are the ones that I dated and um, always, you know, I and and I just couldn't understand how they couldn't love me. And um, I came to program when I was 39, uh, and and soon, you know, I, I, one of my first sponsors worked, you know worked hard with me on that and um, it was great that she helped me turn it around. She said I need to reprogram myself about what is normal um, and what to expect in a relationship from a man. Because uh, first of all I thought normal was boring. You know, even though those relationships I was very unhappy with, uh, you know, they, they were exciting men in a way and I was addicted to that drama. I was addicted to, you know, the roller coasterness of all of that. And, um, and 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 I just considered normal boring, and I didn't want a boring man. I didn't want a good man. I thought I did, but I mean, every time I met a good man, I just thought he was boring. So she had me reprogram myself about what you know to expect in a relationship. And eventually, after two and a half years of working on this program, I put an ad in the Singles Register. That's what they had. This was 1987. They didn't do the internet dating things then. They had um, a nice publication, a very decent, nice publication. You know, not kinky or anything. Um, and I was in the Orange County area, you know, at that time, and it was called the Singles Register. And I put an ad in. Um, um, and 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 I uh, you know and and what I put in that I wanted you know and what I put in that I was you know I only was attracting good men and I dated lots that way and I got lots of practice and then I I met my husband to be that way and uh, he's really a good man he he's not in program but he's you know he he, he does the twelve steps um, uh, uh, on his own you know he's not in the twelve step program but I mean he he's a good man and and he's uh, He's normal, I guess, but, you know, and he's, he's very loving, very, very loving. And um, so we got married a year after we met, and that was 1988. And um, we just celebrated 15 years of marriage. And this is a miracle, you know, in my family because this is the first, the longest, healthiest, you know, loving relationship for generations. My mother was married twice and very unhappy. My grandmother even was married three times and unhappy. And even the ones in the family that stayed together one time, you know, they hated each other. So that was, I had no modeling, no role modeling. I had to learn all of this in program. And I did. And, you know, this makes my mother so happy. This is like the greatest thing I've ever done as far as she's concerned, you know. She just, she loves her son-in-law so much. And, and she tells me it's the greatest thing I've ever given to her to see, you know, somebody in this family married happily. So, uh, the next one is, oh, speaking of my mother, if I, if I told my mother what to do, this time I'd get through. <laughs> and, and, you know, and they were all good suggestions. They were just for her health, you know, her way to exercise, you know. But, you know, they say in our program, you know, you keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's insanity, you know. And that's what I was doing. And finally, you know, a sponsor helped me to just let go and not do that anymore. And, um, 
you know, and, and the reality is, is that, you know, and she, she wasn't going to do anything like that. She never took my suggestions anyway, so it didn't matter. And the reality is she's living the life she wants, and she may not live as long as, you know, I'd like her to live or as healthy as I want her to live. But, you know, it's, it's her choice. And, um, and and so I stopped doing that. And, and, and this also I had to incorporate into um, sponsoring. Um, you know, when I started sponsoring in this program, my idea of sponsoring was I would tell my sponsors how to live, and they would do what I said, and then they'd be grateful, you know, to me. For, and... <laughs> And I and I had to learn, you know, the hard way, you know, that I can't do that way. And I had to learn how to be much more gentle and much more loving. And it's great because, you know, now I have really good relationships with sponsors and they love me and instead of wanting to fire me, you know. So it's the reality has been much, maybe much happier than, you know, my unrealistic expectations. Oh, next one. Everyone should love me as I am and not expect me to change. And no matter how difficult I was, you know, and I, you know, before program, I was really a lot of work. You know, I was a very high-maintenance friend. I, 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 I was difficult. And it really hurt me that people did not accept me as is. You know, I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm good enough, you know, and I offer you enough. Why can't you just put up with everything else? and take me as I am, you know, and um, it wasn't until I got in the program and I did written 10 steps and I saw my part, you know, and I never, ever saw my part before program, never, never. And then finally I saw what I was doing, you know, and then I was able to, you know, work hard to make changes and clean it up. And um, and now, you know, the reward is is that I, I have a lot of friends and they really do love me and, and I finally have what really I really just wanted, the respect and love of people. But I had to make those changes first. Yeah. Uh, the next one, um, I'm entitled to be angry or resentful, you know. There's people uh, who have done me wrong, and um, I, I would punish them. And, you know, I learned that behavior early. I don't know how or something. Uh, uh, probably copied my father, you know. But I would stop talking to my mother. She made me mad, and I would give her the silent treatment. And um, I would stop talking to her, and I carried that behavior into adulthood with friends and I even tried it on my husband in the first year of marriage but he, he's a healthy person and he came with more skills than I did to this relationship and he told me he wasn't going to live with an angry woman so you know I I had to change and uh, you know I learned from sponsors that you pray for people that you have resentments against and um, uh, and, you know, there, I had to learn, too, I was kind of addicted to that anger. You know, it, there was something about it. You know, I, I would get angry and I'd carry it around with me and I'd resent people, but it made me feel kind of powerful. I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I got addicted to it. And, I, I, and you know, I, I, I didn't feel good enough to know what it was really like. And then once I got a taste of it in this program, I, I, I wanted to feel good, and that's the miracle, that I want to feel good. So as soon as the, you know, the head starts, I can't stand it. And as soon as I just start, you know, about somebody in the morning when I wake up, I just pray, you know, and I ask for everything for them that I want for myself, and I just pray for them, and, you know, just so my heart will be lightened, and I'll drop the resentment, and I'll feel good. 
But the miracle is that I, I want to feel good, you know? I don't want to feel bad anymore, and that's, that's been a huge change for me. Uh, oh, I love this one. It's my favorite. Every day I expect to do everything on my list. You know, this, this one is a pretty current one. I, I think I, I just sort of made some game with this about a couple months ago. This one's very current. Uh, I mean, it's been going on a long time, and I didn't clean it up a long time ago. Um, you know, every single morning I made a list of what I was going to do, and that's optimistically, and then every night I feel bad because I didn't do everything on the list. I couldn't believe it. Every single night I feel bad about it. So, and you know, the problem there is that I expect to be able to have like 48 hours in a 24-hour day. And I, I, I talked to myself a lot about it, and I wrote about it, and I talked to my sponsor, and I figured it out. I wanted, you know, two contradictory things. I, I want to um, do everything slowly, enjoyably, relaxed and 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 like for example I want to meet somebody for lunch I want to have an hour and a half with them but I want to only take a half an hour you know what I mean I don't know so now I have a new system I put little stars asterisks by the three maybe four things I really really expect to do that day it might be you know that I, I might want to exercise or I have to call somebody whatever it is and then everything on the list now I changed it from expectations to possibilities all the other are my possibilities that day. And then at the end of the day, if I do any of them, I can feel really good. Oh, I did the three things I had to do. And then I did some other things that were possibilities. And I feel so much better now. And nothing's really changed except, you know, the way I, my expectations were changed. And I just feel so much better now, you know, at the end of the night. So I'm going to keep doing that one. Um, ugh, this one's boring. I don't want to do it. Um, how am I doing with time? I've got about seven more minutes. Uh, you know, there's, here's this one. I have to act out my feelings or I'm a hypocrite. You know? Um, I, always, I always was just me. Uh, I liked that about me before program. I was very real. I was me. If I felt angry, you know, if I felt mad, I acted it out. Uh, I was a teacher for 33 years, and if I was in a bad mood, I was mean to my students. I, I was, you know, unpleasant to my coworkers, uh, to anybody, family. Um, you know, if I was having a bad day at home, I went out and acted it out because this is real. You know, you're supposed to, I mean, you know, otherwise it would be a phony. But when I got in program, um, you know, along with acting as if, you know, as a spiritual person, I also learned that you could act as if, you know, that you feel good. And happiness was a choice, you know, and I never really knew this. Never. This was the first time I ever understood this concept, that you can choose to be happy. I mean, no, I thought if you're having a bad day, you'd be unhappy. No, you can choose to be happy. And I really learned that in program, and I would go out, and I would act as if I were happy, act as if I was having a good day, I'd be nice to people smiling, I'd even catch myself, what am I acting so nice for because I'm having a bad day at home, but I couldn't believe it, and I've actually acted myself into feeling good on those days. I'm talking real nice to people in Safeway, I'm talking nice to everyone, and I begin to feel really good. So I changed that expectation. I thought you had to feel something before you could act on it. And then I learned in program that you actually can act yourself into feelings, and it really, really works. And and I and I learned that. Um, uh, how much more time? Thank you. Uh, other people, oh, I other people make me happy, and they will fill the hole. 
and and somebody's got to do it for me and that was that was the next one uh, and I spent a lifetime looking for love in all the wrong places uh, and when I got into the program and I and I became spiritual sort of and I have a higher power <laughs> and, and, and I have a higher power um, that really helps fill that hole it's just you know very comforting very reassuring now that I'm never alone that I have a higher power so that really helps fill the hole and I think the other thing that really fills the hole is the fellowship for the first time in my life I was connected I have never felt connected to any thing in my life and for whatever reasons I'm really connected to this fellowship and um, to, and, to, and, and the love that I get from the people in it and being involved in the fellowship and I do a lot of service so I can be around all these people I do a lot of service and you know from the day I got in I did service and um, you know I, I, I just I, I, I go to region and assembly I've been to uh, world service and I do that kind of service, I mean. And, and it keeps me knowing all the people in this program on an intimate level. And that is what fills that hole. You know, not where I look for it in all other places. That and a higher power. So, and maybe time for one more. Oh, okay. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have problems. This is what I grew up with, I, I believing and into adulthood. I shouldn't be inconvenienced. I shouldn't have problems that was for other people maybe but my life should go smoothly go well and um, I you know I always remember this example of uh, before I was married for program I had I had a house I owned a house and I had ants in the kitchen a horrible thing with ants and I had a boyfriend then and I was having a tantrum over the ants and you know he said you, you make such a big deal of these things you know you, you you just make too big a deal of these things and I was furious. I, I just wanted him to be angry with me over this. And again, that was the anger that I used to get into. The drama made me feel good, made me feel important. You know, I just thought people who are always happy were just, you know, idiots, you know? <laughs> if, if they really had an important life like me, they, they would be angry and unhappy a lot too. And that's how I really believed. And I was I, I was just so angry, and I would focus on the problem, not on the solution. I'd make it so much worse. Well, anyway, you know, getting into the program, I, I would start this, why me? And I said, an old timer said to me first year, it's your turn, you know? <laughs> and I, I never thought of it that way. And, you know, it's true. It helps me even now. Oh, yeah, it's my turn. I'm like everybody else. You know, I'm not exempt. These things happen. This is life. This is the real world. And, you know, it's my turn. And a good, a good, con a good comparison was we just recently had ants and um, rats in our kitchen. It's not as bad as it sounds. I mean, they were cute. They were little. I thought they were mice. But and they were only one at a time. But we did have a thing of rats in, the, in our kitchen now. And I didn't, I didn't do the thing I did with the ants. I, I just, you know, I was grateful that um, life is usually good, it usually goes smoothly, that it could be worse. <laughs> These could be New York rats, you know. <laughs> and, and, and you know what, I did really well with it, I really did. And I, I remember the ants and I was amazed at this. And um, I think it's time for me to end. No, wait, 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 wait. 
One minute. No, I gotta have my minute. <laughs> no, I'm I'm gonna end by saying that you know why why is it important to uh, for me to uh, live in reality? You know, um, why is it important to give up all those unrealistic expectations? And I thought about this, and um, it, it well it makes me happier. I I am now happy, joyous, and free, and it's not enough just to be thin and you know we all know that you know it's not enough just to be thin um and my illusions were making me very unhappy and um you know i i have to work daily on accepting what is but you know living in reality and accepting what is i'm, I'm just a much happier person so thank you for letting me share Thank you, Sherry, very much. Okay, and now we are going to have our second speaker, who is Shirley from the San Fernando Valley Inner Group, who will speak for 25 minutes. Shirley, please welcome her. You can send me here. That's great. Thank you. Hello, everybody. My name is Shirley. I'm a compulsive breeder and a grazer. Hi, Shirley. Hi. God, one of my expectations was there wasn't going to be anybody here. And look at everybody, my Lord. Wonderful to see so many familiar faces here. And I got to meet some new people, too. Sure, I can talk louder. Um, you know, I want to thank the committee for asking me to speak. I, I, I too, like to do service. And one of the things that uh, when Ida asked me if I could could speak I always I, when I was asked to speak before I wanted why I want to pick my topic I have no idea and I said you know just don't do that just whatever they give you and she told me discarding expectations and living in reality and I said crap I don't want to speak on that then I found out it was going to be taped and I'm a cusser so I had to ask God please don't let me swear because oh you know, I think that's what it is being, I'm from the Midwest, and, and I was, uh, I'm one of five, I'm the middle child, and, uh, you know, it was boy, girl, and then I should have been a boy, and I was a girl, so, you know, I was pretty much raised like a boy. I drove tractor, and I was with the guys, and I cussed, and man, that was such a great pride in swearing like my dad, you know, and uh, when I moved to California, uh my brother said, ladies don't swear in California. He was wrong. <laughs> Another thing he was wrong about. Uh, I'm feeling in inept here with you having your little list of stuff because I'm thinking, oh, my God, she's so prepared, and I don't know what the hell I... Oh, sorry. <laughs> what the heck I'm going to talk about. Um, one of the things that uh, in expectations when I came into program... Uh, I will be in program uh, 11 years next week on the 24th, and I'm maintaining about a 30-pound weight loss. So thank you, God. This has nothing to do with me. Uh, one of my expectations was that when I went on a diet, I would keep the weight off. Um, well, you know what? Uh, that didn't work. I just was thinking about all of the, uh, the pride that I would get in getting my pin and then the diamond for the pin and then another diamond for the pin and I too swore to God I would never ever put this weight on again and uh, I had no idea I no idea I had a disease I just knew that 
as an adult, I didn't want to be as heavy as my mother was. And uh, I didn't want to, uh, you know, don't you like this girl? Just, she has her mother's arms. You know, she has her mother's hips. I have my father's chest, in case anybody <laughs> wants to know that. But yeah, that's another pronoun. Uh, you know, I had no idea that it's in your genes that if I want to look like Cindy Crawford or whatever, my family is not built like Cindy Crawford. So that is just one of my unrealistic expectations. And uh, when I came to, my mom uh, was in, uh, I watched her struggle with this disease, not knowing we had a disease. And, uh, you know, it, it really saddens me when I, when I go to that place that what would my relationship be with my mom had she found these rooms? And I get all mystified and all geflumped, you know. Uh, I have such a wonderful relationship with my daughter today. Uh, it wasn't always that way. She's, uh, thank you God, clean and sober, coming up on 17 years. I, too, was married to an alcoholic. God, they're exciting, aren't they? Oh, damn, but they never have a bank account, you know? <laughs> Somebody was telling me, I think I maybe heard it on a tape, she was talking about, you know, when you look across the room and there he is. And the heart's just like, and he's walking towards you and you're saying, on his way over, you see the picket fence, you see the kids, and he leans over and he said, could you borrow, could you loan me five dollars? <laughs> that just kind of says it all. But now I'm, uh, I chose to leave that relationship after 17 years and unfortunately, um, he passed away from his disease. And uh, in denial, you know, Denial is so incredible. Uh, oh, man. You know, once you start working the steps and start coming to meetings and watch people recover and see that light come on in their eyes, you can't be in denial anymore. You know, one of my expectations was when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, I tried Overeaters Anonymous probably seven years before I came back. Uh, my girlfriend and I flipped a coin. I think it was Overeaters Anonymous. I think at the time it was Jenny Craig. You could tell we were real serious about this. And uh, what I heard at my first meeting, I'm sure isn't what was said, but it was what I heard. And uh, I didn't listen too good when I was new. And it was at a hospital, and one side of the room were anorexia and bulimics. They had a eating unit in the hospital and I wasn't familiar with that. I'd never heard of anorexia and bulimia. And the other side of the room were heavy. I didn't know that there was any in between. You know, I'm a real black and white person. God forbid there should be a gray area anywhere. <laughs> and uh, and I heard the section talking about bulimia and we just thought, man, this is way too sick for us. So we're out of here. Another seven years I had to go and yo-yo, you know, gain. And I would be so embarrassed when I would reach goal, for me there was that magic. Have you reached goal weight yet? No, not yet. Well, when you reach goal, that's the magic, reaching that goal. That was a killer for me. When I reached goal, it was downhill from there. I'd go celebrate, you know. God, I reached goal. And um, so I'm very grateful that there is no goal, goal for me in Overeaters Anonymous because that was just the kiss of death for me. Um, Listening to people talk about their feelings, I mean, oh my God, I didn't know feelings weren't facts. I, I wasn't allowed to have my feelings. I remember 
telling my mom that, you know, Mom, you really hurt my feelings. Tough shit. Oh, sorry, that was my mother. That wasn't me. But that was, that's where I come from, okay? And, uh, you know, and I would just be devastated. And uh, I was always the person that was never understood. Uh, nobody ever understood me, my younger brother and myself. And uh, I always used to say I came from the land of shame and blame. Uh, my father was a rageaholic. These are terms that I, that I learned when I was in program. I had no idea there was such a terminology. I just knew that I was scared of him. I was scared of both my parents. I come from a generation that we were raised with a belt. And if anybody raised their voice or anything, you know, I'm a runner. I'm going to get the hell out of the way before it hits the fan. I mean, that's just, you know, that's my, my M.O. And I know today that, uh, you know, I don't have to do that. I can walk away. You know, I've still got this scared little kid that lives inside of me that uh, forgets she's an adult. You know, I never grew up. I just got older. And, uh, you know, I get scared a lot. If you would have told me 11 years ago that I would ever be up here speaking, I'd have said, no way, Jose. That's not going to happen unless I had, you know. Well, the solution to all my problems prior to program uh, was a pitcher of margaritas and about eight bowls of chips. That worked real good for me because I'm also, so this program has led me to Alcoholics Anonymous. I uh, had no idea I was a compulsive reader. I knew I was fat. I uh, had no idea I was an alcoholic. I just thought I was a party girl, you know. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and you couldn't hurt me because my feelings wouldn't get hurt. If I had enough to eat and enough to drink, uh, you know, you couldn't hurt me. And, you know, when you have those things taken away from you, which those were my tools, and you're given another set of tools, uh, which I like the terminology of tools because I was born and raised on a farm, and I can relate to tools. I know you need certain tools to work in the garden and certain tools to work in the fields, and, uh, and I really like that. And then somebody said to me um, at the meeting, when everybody stood up and they got in, the cor- or got in a circle, and they said the Lord's Prayer, I started crying. So that's when the magic happened for me. You know, uh, I thought I knew all there was to know about God. I got to learn the difference between uh, spirituality and religion. Uh, Gosh, what a big step that was for me. And they talked about that hole in our gut. And once I started putting God in there, I got that. But I'm a big comparer. One of my biggest character defects is our comparing. Now, if I see somebody really, really thin, I want her food plan. If I, you know, I want to pick and choose. And it's kind of like when I used to mix diets. I would eat so much on a carbohydrate. Well, I couldn't stay on this one because it didn't have all the good things I liked. So then I'd have to, I'd take a little from each and couldn't figure out why I was gaining weight, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that doesn't work that way. Uh, somebody had suggested in program, uh, or didn't suggest, they talked about uh, going to therapy. And they said, uh, page 103 of the big book talks about seeking outside help. I cannot tell you the fear of going to therapy because, you see, somebody said, you're as sick as your secrets. I had no idea I was a walking secret because our family knew and we didn't talk about stuff beyond the driveway, you know. 
there were certain things that you just kept at home and you didn't talk about. And uh, <laughs> the first therapist I went to, I don't know what it is with therapists, they got to put their hands together and, yes. <laughs> and uh, how do you feel about that? And, you know, I didn't have much luck in telling anybody how I ever felt, so I wasn't quite sure what to say. So um, I said, well, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of scared and I feel a little stupid because I don't know how, you know, because I have to know how everything goes before I play the game, you know. God forbid I should learn to read the rules. And uh, she said, well, all I want you to do is to tell me how you feel. I said, I feel pretty good, you know, like, how are you? Fine, thank you. You know, that was my standard answer. And when I got done, it was silence. She said, I feel you're angry. I'm not angry. Yeah. You know, I had no idea anger was a feeling that I was not allowed to get to have. My folks could get mad, and the teachers could get mad, and the nuns could get mad. But by God, I better not get mad. And, uh, you know, that's so unfair. Somebody said, out here, you want fair, go to Pomona. You know, that's about it. And, uh, you know, so what I started to do, I started going to, and I got to, uh, because for me, I didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust people in Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, I, it was okay for you, but not for me. And uh, I think probably, if anything, I heard, the two things that I heard was keep coming back and get a sponsor. And uh, I expected a sponsor pretty much to be Santa Claus, I guess. Uh, you know, when she told me what to do, this was kind of funny. She, uh, they said, um, find a sponsor who has what you want, or find a person program who has what you want and ask her to be your sponsor. So I said, okay. I saw this lady at a meeting. She had lost 100 pounds, and she was driving a Mercedes. I said, God wants that. <laughs> Well, I know today that that's not what they meant, but, you know, this is how you learn as you go along. And um, she kept saying to me, have you written a resentment yet? Had no idea what a resentment was. I said, I, I don't have a resentment. I'm not mad at anybody or anything. <laughs> and I didn't get this resentment thing, because these are terminologies that you hear when you come in here, and when you're new, you don't know what that means. So she said... Uh, I was, I'd taken some readings over to her house, and um, she got out a red marking pen, and she started circling it. She was grading my writing. Oh, my God. I got, like, what I call the tornado stomach, you know, where it's just like that, and you know it's going to be a funnel soon. And I got home, and I said, you know, I, I think this is a resentment. So I wrote this resent. I'm so excited. My first resentment. <laughs> and it was against her, you know. So I called her back, and I read her my resentment. And I resent because, and she said, I can't talk to you. And she hung up. So she calls me back about 20 minutes later and tells me she can't be my sponsor anymore if I'm going to resent her. <laughs> well, I thought, well, so much for this resentment crap. That didn't work, you know. So, you know, but as you get healthier in program, and it's funny, we were estranged for about three and a half years in program, and we ran into each other at the New Year's brunch. And uh, I told her that before, you know, I could allow her back in my life, 
that I needed, that that wasn't okay. And she doesn't even remember doing it. So that, you know, as Roseanne says, we're all here because we're not all there, you know. <laughs> that, that, that's it, you know. It's just, uh, you know, we, we help each other the very best we can. And uh, I had a lot of expectations from people in program. I never expected a sponsor to drop me. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of abandonment issues, you know. But I guess God gave me the courage or whatever he gave me to keep coming back. That I didn't leave and that I got another sponsor. That's so important. If you don't get what you want one place, you just go to someplace else. I'm so grateful that in Southern California we had so many meetings here. My Lord. I, uh, my sister lives in Montana. They have one meeting a week. And it's a small town, and, you know, they, they have a real problem with the anonymity. And I'm so grateful, you know, that, that you know, we don't have that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I expected, I'd, I'd gotten upset at somebody at a meeting, and I said, well, you know, screw this. I'm just going to go to another meeting. And I wanted to go to a meeting across town that I didn't know anybody, and I was going to dump. I mean, I was just going, whoa, 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 whoa. I just had this whole thing figured out. I walked in the meeting, and there was four people there that I knew. <laughs> you know? You stick around these rooms long enough, and you know what? That's when you start working your program. Uh, one of the things to get back to this therapy thing, when I had expected this therapist, I don't know if it was like a magic wand to say, boom, you're cured or you're healed or whatever. Um, she started asking me questions about my childhood. Didn't want to talk to her about that stuff. So... Uh, I would pretty much tell her what I wanted to tell her. And look at my watch and say, time's about up, you know, whatever. And she said to me, you know, Shirley, you're spending money to come here, and I can't help you if you can't be honest. If you want, to, want help, I'll help you. I'll help you work through this stuff. But otherwise, she said, you're wasting my time and your money. And I thought, Wow. You know, how do you argue with that? <laughs> and uh, and I thought, you know what? I called her the witch with a B, and I'm out of here. And I went home, and I wrote a resentment. I resent Dr. Flip, 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 flip. And see, what my sponsor has me do, uh, I have to number my resentment. I have a piece of paper, and I number one to five. I resent because it affects my... And the fourth one is, what was my part, which, who put that one in there, you know? <laughs> what was my part? And then the fifth one is, what would God have you do? And by the time I got done writing, you know, that resentment, it's pretty hard to resent somebody that wants to help you. And by the time I got down to what would God have me do, it... It was very emotional. You know, God would have me trust her to be truthful, and God would have you know that she's a therapist, not a prostitute. Because I figured I'm paying her by God. We're going to talk about what I want to talk about. You know? You do that to prostitutes. You don't do that to a therapist that I know of. So I had to bite the bullet. And I got to tell you, my recovery, I cried so much. My God, you know, for somebody who never cried, and this is one of the things my daughter told me. She said, Mom, I never, you never cried until you went into program, you know? 
And then when I found out tears were liquid fat, oh my God. I just went right to that anorexia meeting, man. That's where I belong. I said, oh my Lord. It was just a miracle. And you know, my family knows I'm in, I, I'm in programs, but they don't think I'm a compulsive overeater. They don't think I'm an alcoholic, and that's okay. You know, last night, I, uh, I had this expectation that we were meeting friends here that I haven't seen in a couple of years, and I was going to be able to go to the opening. I was going to be able to go out to dinner. And you know what? There's just not enough hours. You know, it's that same thing. And I don't like to have to pick and choose, and that's the part of being an addict. You want to do it all, you know. And uh, we, uh, for some of you, if any of you are on the second floor, and um, Thelma and Louise, we brought our four-legged children, uh, we found out they bark. We got home from dinner last night, and there was a light on on our phone. And I'm going, who the hell would be calling me in the room? And it was security. The dogs barked when we were gone. And I said, well, they have a hotel here for dogs. But we didn't know they barked. It's too hot here to let them in the car. So we have plans for the dinner tonight, and we have plans for breakfast in the morning. And we can't bring the dogs in the eating area. So I may be getting food to go, you know. That was an expectation of mine. I figured if they had dogs here, that, you know, dogs are going to bark. That's what they do. But, uh, you know, it wasn't a situation where I wrote a resentment. It was like, oh, well. You know, and last night I got to to go to a wonderful restaurant out here and watch, to be with people that I had been with before I came into program and watch them do what they did before I got into program to tell me how good I look and boy, you're sure keeping that weight off. And what is this OA thing? All the while eating bread and butter telling me I should be on the Atkins plan and I'm going to have to go to these things, you know? I said, you just slab on another pat of butter there and have another martini. By God, we'll talk about it in the morning, you know? <laughs> and I woke up today, and I didn't have a hangover. You know, it was wonderful. I didn't have a hangover from anything. You know, how do you do that? Now, the dessert came around. God has released so many things for me. And one of them, uh, gosh, I guess it's been nine months ago, God released chocolate from me. That is such a miracle. Because I'd hear people get up and they'd take chips for, I haven't had chocolate for so long, and I just thought, man, you know, you must have a better, higher power than I do, you know. Because I always had this thing, I always expected to be treated special. Because if you, I heard somebody say, if you treat me special, I feel normal. If you treat me normal, I feel neglected. And that kind of says it all for me. I just have this need to feel special. And you know what, we're all God's kids. And uh, and we're just all here. What, how am I doing on time? I feel like I've been talking a year. No? Okay. Five more minutes. All right. Uh, gosh, if this was an AA meeting, I'd tell a dirty story, but I had to keep it clean. <laughs> uh, when, she, when you were talking about the, uh, the rat story, uh, it reminded me of uh, we had mice. Now, I have three cats. This was another one of my expectations. I broke up with my boyfriend, who is now my husband. But when we broke up, I got two cats because he didn't like cats. Well, now we have three and we're married, so go figure. What do I know? Um, uh, we, had, we had mice in the kitchen, and uh, I called, God, you know, he's calling an exterminator. What a concept, you know? And uh, 
I'm used to, I'm from a farm, we have mouse traps and stuff, and we put the cheese on it, and I was watching this guy, what he was doing, and he had this little, like a little trap thing, it was just a little flat thing, and he was smearing stuff on it, and he was putting it, I said, what are you putting on that trap? He said, peanut butter. I said, really? What kind? <laughs> and when that came out of my mouth, he said, I don't know. It just seemed so important that I know what kind of peanut butter that was, you know? So I'm telling you, I'm not cured. And, uh, <laughs> and I guess I'll never be. So I think we have an Ask It Basket and a question box. So thank you all for listening. Can you have a good day? Oh, thank you so much, Shirley. Um, yes, we now have questions. I hope the Ask It Basket has been going around. And, um, okay, I'm sure we do have, oh, lots of questions. Good. I think, why don't you just choose, and I mean, because there's a lot of, I don't know how many we'll get through. Okay. But kind of read over and just decide. Okay. Okay, and how much time do we have for this left? I don't know what time. At 12. Half hour. Thank you. Half hour for So let us know, timer, will you? On when it's getting close to time to close. Right. Thank you. Okay. okay, thank you. So, good. Just keep the mic either on or hold it. I'm still Sherry, compulsive reader. And the question here is, they want for both of us to answer this. Please speak about expectations as related to sponsorship. Okay, do I have it on right? Okay. Go ahead. Um, uh, you know, when I, I've changed my expectations and I've had different sponsors. When I first came in, my, you know, the, the, the longer I've been in, the more I've learned and, and, and the, you know, the smarter I get. So when I first came in, I thought, you know, like I always thought, that I just had to have the most important person who was in charge as my sponsor. That's the way, you know, I ran my life. So I was, the person who was the secretary at the meeting, I asked her to be my sponsor because that's what I thought. I thought that the secretary of the meeting was in charge and they knew everything, you know. And then um, uh, I, I was in a little longer and that wasn't working out. And I, I realized what I really needed was, you know, spirituality. That I, You know, as, as I told you, I came in without any. That's, you know, and they say, you know, find someone who has what you want, you know, and, and, and make them your sponsor. So I did. And I, you know, I, there was always this person at the meeting, and she just seemed to, like, just, I don't know, have a big heart, big empathy. She just always listened to everybody really well. And, you know, you could just see her feeling for them. And I don't know, she just looked spiritual. So, you know, I asked her to be my sponsor, and that was a very long relationship. And, and she taught me a lot, you know. And, um,. She taught me a lot about spirituality and and and, and how to, and how to do that, 
And then, um, then I got into that relationships thing I told you about, and she wasn't in one. She didn't know how to do it, and she admitted it. So I, I had a third sponsor at that point who was married in a good relationship. And, you know, that's what I needed at the time, and I asked her to be my sponsor. So I guess, you know, mostly it's been like that, that whatever I felt like I needed, if I wasn't getting from the person before, and as I grew, I would find someone who had now what I needed, and I would ask them. One, you know, just the last thing about this is the one thing I have a problem with. It says talk about expectations, and I'm. I, this is a little problem I have, and I kind of somewhere in the back of my mind expect, you know, my sponsor to be kind of perfect, you know, and it bothers me when she's not. And of course, you know, it's unrealistic expectation because no one's perfect. And I just try to remind myself why I asked her to be my sponsor, and you know, and and I and she does a lot of things. Beautifully, perfectly, wonderfully, and she, and that's why I asked her to be my sponsor. And she still does those things that way. And no, she doesn't do everything really, really well. So I, I still grapple with that, though, you know. And and that's unrealistic of me because nobody is going to. So. Okay. Uh, for me, my my sponsor is. I told you how when I came in it was all about material stuff. I don't know, I have no idea that I had a free phone to do because I was a professional dieter. I just literally focused on the physical. And, you know, my sponsor told me, my sponsor now that I've had for eight years, she, uh, she's been, I didn't free phone, so I'm in Ellen on the and so is she. So, uh, if an issue comes up, uh, I will go to, that meeting, you know, the issue of right now my daughter's going through the board, so I don't know I'm spending much so much, so much, you know, and, because uh, I have to keep my mouth shut, and, uh, you know, she did all three programs, so it was really good for me. Does that answer your question? Okay. Uh, how do you curb the drama queen? <laughs> the drama queen in yourself. I retired six years ago, and uh, I'm pursuing a second career. I'm doing what I always wanted to do. I'm, uh, I'm in the arts. I'm in acting school. I'm uh, in class twice a week, and I have my drama out on stage. And, uh, Oh, well, maybe I was on the floor. I have no idea. I, was do you do I don't know. I was talking to this to actually hold this. Of this. So this doesn't count. Okay. How do you curb the drama queen? Um, well, you know, as I talked about a little before, it was making me miserable. So that was one way that it became apparent to let it go, you know. Um, just, you know, all the drama was over, you know, it I, I just made me feel, I don't know, I liked anger, you know, I hate depression, I would never get depressed, I hated sadness, it made me feel weak, but anger just spurred me on, it made me feel powerful, important, gave me energy, so I liked it, I was addicted to it, but it got me in so much trouble, it made me so miserable, I guess just, you know, little by little, just let it go, and then I guess the the biggest way, I guess, to curb it was just I got a taste of what it was like just to be sort of mellow and normal and, you know, I, I really like, you know, just sort of a boring life now, you know. I just like serenity. I like peace. I like really having 
nothing that I have to do. I like having no stress. Uh, you know, nothing on that to do list that's causing me any stress. I just, I just like, you know, I don't know, just an easy life now. I got a taste of it, and I just love serenity. But, uh, you know, I just, just had to do it a little bit at a time, I guess, and, and get and experience that. You want me to do this? Oh yes. Please. Okay, I'll, I'll go into this one. So Sherry, and um, what was the turning point of going from no sugar abstinence to no breads as well? Okay, um, the turning point. It said, I, I guess you know, the turning point was just that I, I, you know, I'd been in program like for thirteen and a half years. It was during the summer. It was supposed to be the happiest time of my life because um, I was a teacher and I had the summer off. And I was just, you know, every every morning I'd wake up and I'd say, okay, you know, I got to get back to my absence, my good absence, and then. Before you know it, you know, I would go to an, an Indian buffet and I'd eat all you could eat of the basket of the bread they give you, you know, tons of it, and I would do it all over again and I was binging on bread in program and I was gaining weight, I was miserable, um, I was going to gain it all back one more time and I mean, I'm miserable and I'm, I'm in program and I'm on my solidification. So that did it. I guess that was the turning point. I guess, you know, I can't do this any more, I, I finally admitted, I guess I couldn't handle bread, I couldn't, and you know, and all the other forms of white flour that I did. So I just, you know, and I went to um, a food plan where, you know, you have to, to, to give it up. And um, like I said, it, it was, it, at first it was hard, yeah, I'd go to restaurants, and um, my husband eats it, so I'd put a big menu or something in between us, you know, so I couldn't see the basket of it on the table. And, you know, and I stopped looking at it to see what I was missing, and I stopped feeling it to see if it was warm, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but little by little, you know, the agony lasts. It's just like anything else when you first give it up. It's hard in the beginning, but then, you know, you... It, you, you eventually stop craving it. You don't want it. It doesn't matter. And the and the proof of it is, we just went back to New York for a visit, you know. And to me, you know, and I I come from New York State, and you know, I New York City, you know, if you don't mind me mentioning a couple of foods, bagels and pizza. I mean, there is no other. And you know, I really grieved those things when I moved out to California because they have bagels and pizza here, but not like in New York City. And we went back for a visit, and I was a little nervous because New York is walk around eating food they walk they eat while they walk and they're in your face you can't just put a menu between you and that so I saw those big things walking around all day and it just it didn't matter I mean you know um, it just it, you get it out of your system long enough you don't crave it anymore it did not matter I have all my other foods that I eat I eat tons of foods so I eat really well I love my food and those things just didn't matter I guess. Okay. Um, okay, this is from a newcomer. Uh, I realize I use food to comfort myself. If I get abstinent, then how can I comfort myself if I can't use food? I'm not sure. I worry that my higher power will comfort me enough. Well, if you're a newcomer, whoever you are, welcome to Overeaters Anonymous. Welcome home. That's what was said to me. Uh, you know... I, I totally understand. Uh, what I do and what I've been taught to do is to go to more meetings, pray, and then pray, and then pray some more. Uh, 
call somebody that's newer than you or make outreach calls. This is a we program, and, uh, you know, you can't do it yourself. That's what you got your higher power for. That's where you uh, have to trust faith. And uh, I'm here to tell you, after 10 years, if chocolate's removed from me, honey, keep coming back because it gives me hope that more will be re- removed later on. Um, first speaker, what did your sponsor have? This is for you, I guess. Uh, to specifically do regarding program, trying to get men incapable to love you. What did your sponsor have you do to reprogram yourself trying to get men incapable of love to love you? Okay, um, I, I think I know what that means. Uh, well, you know, it was very specific things. Just like in program, you know, you just sort of do a little bit at a time, one step at a time. But she had me make a list, sit down and make a list of, you know, first of all, what did I want? You know, she says, you, you want to just date? Do you want to get married? What do you want? And at first I just said I wanted to date. I didn't want to get married. So fine. You know, and so she helped me do that because I always was like all over the place. I mean, I, did, I don't know. I, I either had very unrealistic expectations. I wanted everything or I didn't know what I wanted. So she had me do a lot of just, you know, like we do in program, write about it, right? What do you want? And then, um, you know, how do you meet it? In you know, of course, I wanted to meet a good man, and I wanted to, you know, go out with a good man, but I, I didn't want to be bored, and I wanted to go out with someone normal, but you know, not be bored. But she said, well, you need some practice with it, and you need to meet them, and you need to, you know. Uh, so she helped me figure out where you meet these people. I mean, you know, you, there's certain places you can go and certain places you can't. So we just sort of went about it methodically. And then one day I'm talking to her and I said, you know, I really want to be married. She said, well, you never said that before. You know, and that's a good thing to have a sponsor for because, oh, I, you know, I, I was thinking I thought that was the fact, you know. And she says, no, I mean, that's why you have a sponsor to remind you of what, you know, they, they have a good memory for you. She said, no, you, you never said that. I said, oh, I, I guess I'm really ready. I want to get married. So, um, you know, I just, I guess you do praying about it, you think about it, um, and then, um, and then, I, you know, and I guess my higher power helped me too. I was visiting an older cousin and she said, you got to write an ad, you got to put an ad in. And she's the one that, she helped me write it and she helped me put it in. And then that ad was written in such a way that, you know, it was designed pretty much so that only good men would answer it, you know, and because it said what I wanted. You know, and I put very, you know, specifically that I wanted, um, you know, a, a relationship. But you know, I it didn't say that I wanted to get married, but it said that I wanted, you know, that kind of relationship and everything. And um, I wanted a person who was capable of this and that. So I don't know, and just just went out with those men and um, just one step at a time. You know, like we we do everything in the program. Okay. Uh, Expected our whole family to be in recovery. I'm the only one of my husband, daughter, son, daughter, and me. <laughs> yeah, I expected my husband to come in the program, too. Uh, you know, he was my binge buddy and my drinking buddy when I was single. Now, why in the hell would he stop just because I did? You know, talk about unrealistic expectations. Uh, I think that uh, this is a program of attraction. He is very supportive of me in program, but it's not for him. Do I think he can use it? Take his inventory almost every day. I don't give it to him, but I take it, you know. 
but uh, he's not me. And this is a program for people who want it, not for people who need it. And uh, I think it's a program of attraction, so that's how I would answer that. Surely, where are parts of one through three of writing a resentment? What are parts? Okay, part one is I resent. Two is uh, because. Three, it affects my. Four is what's my part in it. And five is what would God have me do. Sherry, that's for you. Let's see what this one is here. Both. How do you... Maintain your spiritual condition. Do you use prayer and meditation? Uh, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, about three years ago, my husband asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And I, thank you, God, I don't need anything, but I wanted a teepee. I think the Indians are really connected to the spiritual world. So I have a teepee in my backyard. Uh, it seats 14 people. We have OA meetings in it. Uh, it's got a stove in it. If anybody at my meetings want to do any burning or anything, it's just very, very spiritual. And we have candlelight meetings in there. And I have to tell you, the power of prayer and the power of this safety in this teepee at this candlelight meeting, I there was a, a lady came to the meeting. It was during the holidays. And we're all bundled up in blankets and stuff. And uh, she talked about stuff. I've known this woman for nine years. And she talked about stuff I never knew about. But it's just a real, real safe place. For me, uh, it has to be someplace that's really safe, and that's a safe haven for me. Okay. How do you maintain your spiritual condition? Do you use prayer and meditation? Um, well, you know, like I said, I had taught myself to do this in program, and I was a little methodic in the beginning because it didn't come naturally. But I, you know, like I would get up in the morning and I, you know, would, um, you know, say certain prayers or something. And, of course, always reading those meditations in the morning is helpful. And I've heard so many people say they start their way that day, you know, by reading the For Today meditation. I have several of those little books, you know, and, it, you know, you just turn to today and you read what it says today. And, and that makes me, you know, get in touch with um, with the spirituality. And then I would pray all day long in the bathroom. I was a teacher, as I said. This is my first year of retirement. But I, um, I, I would leave the classroom, and that was the only time I had to myself. And, you know, I could run to the bathroom. I had an age. She'd watch the class. And, you know, because I, I didn't want to yell at the kids, you know. I, I didn't want to um, uh, be angry, and I taught special ed, and sometimes, you know, they would do things and such that I would feel really angry over, and I didn't want to react. So, I, you know, when I was in the bathroom, I would just pray about it, or I, I don't know, that's where I talked to God, you know, in the bathroom. It was the only place I was all by myself. It was just a one-person bathroom. Close the door, lock the door, I talked to God, you know, and pray and whatever. Um, now... I just, you know, all day long, sometimes there are those, you know, like they say the 911 prayers, you know, when I'm really in trouble and, and, and I really uh, pray. And um, I just sometimes, oh, and I'm, I have to be grateful all day. That's what I do, too. keeps me in touch. I, I say thank you, God, a lot. Like every time something, you know, that's sort of a surprise that happens that's good or something that I was really worried about turns out well or anything, you know, I mean anything. I just, you know, thank you, God, you know, and I just sort of stay in touch like that all day to make sure that I'm being grateful and saying thank you. And... Um, 
And then, and then sometimes when I'm not feeling very spiritual or anything, I just, I go, you know, and listen to people who are, like this morning, that's the, the one I chose, the nine o'clock, you know, talks to God. That was one of them, one of the, maybe some of you were in there this morning, you know, and, um, there was a wonderful speaker and, uh, and, and she talked about, you know, her, her program with that. And, uh, and, and that really helped. Um, how do you take the focus from the result and how do you deal with the anxiety until it gets resolved? Boy, you know, I really try not to get into the results. That You know, and I don't know how. It just kind of happened. Uh, I had no idea the anxiety I had until I stopped compulsively overeating and I stopped taking alcohol. Um uh, I still have a hard time traveling. Uh, I have uh, medication. I have a prescription that I take when I get to the airport. I'm claustrophobic, and uh, so that's that's how I deal with it. Uh, and that was a big struggle for me because uh, you know there is a um, there's a lot of judgment. Is my experience there's a lot of judgment on medication in 12-step program. And AA has a wonderful pamphlet that deals with prescription medication. You know, we're sponsors, we're here, but we're not doctors. And uh, and I, I was very judgmental, too, and I fought it for many, many years. But uh, what my therapist told me to do, he asked me, because he knows I'm in 12-step program, he said, uh, would you be willing to try an experiment? And I said, Sure. He said, well, will you do it for six months to prove me wrong? Hell yeah. <laughs> you know? And he was right. So, uh, you know, what can I say? Acceptance is another thing I struggle with. By the way, if you see a car here with 449 HP license plates, that's mine. Okay? What's that one? Uh was that one, Shirley? The one, the one I'm supposed to answer? What was it? The oh, one you just did? One. Oh, I thought that was the oh, same one. one. That I did was asking about uh, Sorry. letting go of the results. Oh, oh, okay. Let it go. Well, I, I guess just, you know, what, what I've been taught in program that is do what you can, do the footwork, take the action that you can take, and then just turn the rest over. Like, you know, today, for example, I mean, you know, I had, I thought the same way Shirley did. I hated this topic, you know. Ida um, asked me when she saw me last September if I'd be this, a speaker. I said, sure, and I'd love to speak on relationships. She said, well, just jot that down for me to remind me when you register. So I did. And I sent in my registration in November and told her, I said, this is to remind you I'd like to speak on relationships because I think I've had a lot of growth there and I could be a good speaker on relationships. So she emails back and she tells me I'm speaking on discarding expectations, living in reality. (laughs) And I mean, that was not my expectation. I mean, (laughs) or or even if she'd given me sponsorship, I have a lot to say about that. You know, and I could speak without notes on any of that. I, I didn't even know what she was talking about, but you know, I did not do what I would have done in the past, and that was email her back or call her and remind her what I was supposed to have and tell her that I didn't want that. Well, first of all, I don't know if any of you know Ida, but you don't argue with Ida. <laughs> That's the first thing, you know. 
So, and then the second thing is, is that I just know that, you know, what the program says, you, you, you know, you, you, you might not, I might not know the best plan for me, as I said. This might be where I'm supposed to be. This might be the one I'm supposed to be doing. And, and it probably was, because I didn't know what to say on it, you know. Um, so I did the footwork, you know, and I did, took action, and I did my part, what I could do with it, and that was to think about it, figure out what it was I was supposed to, you know, what it meant, and, um, you know, make some notes, make some note cards, go over them, and then get, and then stop with that. And just, you know, pray about it, turn it over, and just pray. And I did that. You know, I, I, I prayed a lot that I would, um, you know, be able to say what I'm supposed to say. And I just turned it over, and I just, you know, tried not to be nervous about it and worry about it. I've never spoken into a tape. I was very nervous about that as the time came. I made a deal with myself. I wasn't going to get worried until June 10th. I said that 10 days of worrying would be enough. So I put it off to June 10th, and that was good for me. And then I started in with, I've never been taped. I'm so worried about being taped because, you know, if you make a mistake and, you know, when you just speak and tell your story, it's over. But, you know, you're on tape. It was forever. But so I, I just, I don't know. What, what can I say? Just, just kind of like what they say, turn it over. Just, you know, pray about it and pray not to be in the fear. Pray not to have anxiety. And, um, you know, and it, it all worked out. You're a great audience and you made it really, really easy. And, um, can you discuss your expectations for yourself about where you should be in your recovery at five years or ten years? Well, yeah, I thought I'd be cured by now. Um, you know, I had no idea. I had pride. I had no idea. I had ego. Uh, anything good, I want what you have. Anything bad, I'm sure glad you're sicker than I am. You know, I mean, that's, that's the way my head works, you know. I either have to be the sickest or the wellest, you know, this in-between stuff. Like I said, I come from very black and white thinking. Uh, number one, the fact that I'm still in program. I've been, this is the longest I've ever done anything in my whole life. And I can't wait to get to an OA meeting. It, that is such a miracle. I remember asking, uh, being asked, you know, how long do you have to work these steps? You know, they said, well, working the steps is kind of like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. You start at one end, you get to the other, and then you just start all over again. And that's the gift of having sponsees, because I reworked the steps, you know, with my sponsees. And once I became a sponsor, I lightened up on my sponsor, I'll tell you. Because talk about unrealistic expectations. She's, I remember I called her one night, something was... I think I was probably about a year and a half in program, and I mean, I was just off the wall. And she said, Shirley, I'm going to watch a movie now. You write about it and read it to me tomorrow. 